0: So it's great to be with you. We're continuing in our series uh, called Deconstructed," and uh, this morning's message is actually entitled "Community Community." And so as we continue in the series, which is kind of a journey through First Corinthians chapter 11 and 12, um, if this is your first time with us, you may hear me refer to Paul and uh, or the Apostle Paul, and just so you know and have an idea of what I'm talking about or who I'm talking about, uh, the Apostle Paul is the author of 1 Corinthians. It's a church that he helped establish in Corinth, and uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter in response to a letter that they have written to him. And so... uh, just want to let you know some of the groundwork as we break into the text this morning. We're going to be covering uh, chapter 12, verses four through 11, so you can follow along with me via the app or look at the screen if you'd like. And uh, here we go. Beginning verse four. Now there are various, there are varieties. I already messed up. I'm only a sentence in. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues and these are all these all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills let's pray specifically over my ability to speak <laughs> <laughs> heavenly father we come before you this morning We're thankful to be in this place. We're thankful to have an encounter with you, and we pray that uh, you would focus our hearts and minds on your word this morning, what it is that we can glean uh, from your word that would impact the everyday of our lives. In your name we pray, amen, amen. So as I've mentioned in the past, uh, I played a little bit of baseball. I played growing up in summer league in high school, and then uh, I also um, had the opportunity to play baseball in college. And so there's a, a college game in spe- specifically that I recall, and I tried so hard to figure out who it was that we were playing and I couldn't remember. Um, so I'm not exactly sure who we were playing, but I remember the game well because something amazing uh, took place in that game. Uh, if you're familiar with baseball, and I know for whatever reason, maybe because we're talking about unity and community, that I have a lot of baseball illustrations. Uh, just rest at ease if you're not a baseball fan. You're like, seriously? <laughs> I'll explain it. It'll be fine. Maybe it'll never happen again. Um, but there's something in the game of baseball called hitting the cycle. Okay? And if you've never played baseball, you might not know what that means, so I'll explain real quick. What it means is when a batter gets a single, a double, a triple, and then a home run. It doesn't have to be in order, but in the context of one game, they have hit a home run, a triple, a double, and a single. It's really rare, incredibly rare, even on the professional level. There's some people that will play the game their entire life, and unless they're playing against their children, they will never hit for the cycle, okay? And so uh, there was a moment uh, in college, um, we're playing baseball, and there's this, uh, there's this guy that is um, a pretty legit baseball player, and we're playing against him. And, uh, He uh, hits a triple first, which is usually the most difficult hit to get if you're trying to hit the cycle. I mean, obviously, the home run is difficult, but there are home run hitters. So he hits a triple. We're like, holy smokes, this guy's fast. He then hits a double, and then later on in the game, he hits a home run. And so everybody knows what's possible here as he takes his last at bat. The game is tied up, and we're thinking, a single. Like, how hard can that be? This guy's gonna hit a single and he's gonna hit for the cycle right in front of us. We're gonna witness this, this is gonna be amazing. Even though we're playing against him, I'm gonna be happy for that dude. And so I'm playing out in center field and a couple pitches go and all of a sudden this guy leans into one crack, hits it into right field and he goes running down first base, it bounces off the wall and I'm thinking, who's going to be like he's going to be upset that he hit a double you know what i mean like and so we're we're trying to get the ball in the right fielder picks up the ball turns around and throws to second and we see something so confusing the guy has stayed at first base his team is yelling at him the coach is freaking out and he is just happy as can be cuz he hit for the cycle we're tied up He could have been in scoring position. He could easily stand up, double, potentially even stretch it into a triple as fast as this guy was. Instead, he stops at first base. Unbelievable! Absolutely unbelievable! One of the most selfish things I've ever witnessed in a team sport. Just standing on first base, like, I did it. I'm pretty awesome. Like, no, I'm not so happy for you. You're sort of a jerk, you know. And so he's sitting there taking off his batting gloves, and his team is irate. They're so frustrated. And so the question that I want us to reflect this morning as we go into the text is why do we think our abilities are for our own good? Why do we think our abilities are for our own good? I want to submit to you that it's because we want to give ourselves an advantage. More often than not in this life, we want to be moving ahead. And so what I mean is that we want to feel like we are personally winning at life that we're personally winning at life. So much so that some of us will do just about anything to be perceived as winning, even when we feel like we're losing. Like, life is great. Oh, it's awesome. It's so awesome. And like, there's explosions happening behind you. (laughs) Like, your wife is leaving you. They're packing up the house. You're like, everything is better than it's ever been. Because we want to feel like we're winning. This approach to life is not like a Christian or a non-Christian thing. It's a human thing. Here's the reality. In our life today, social media has literally poured gas on this competitive nature that we deal with. It's like this incredible, weird fire burning in social media where all of a sudden people are like taking snapshots of their fakest life ever. You know, I was recently out to dinner with my family and I sat to kind of reserve the table and as I'm sitting to reserve the table, I look out in the restaurant and there's three teenage girls that are sitting in a booth and there's uh, one girl who literally has her phone on, the flashlight is on and she's shining it while the other girl is trying to take a selfie, but she has her hand out like this, but the girl across the table is actually the one taking the picture. I was like, wait, what? Like a fake selfie? Right? Because like, I can't get far enough away, so I need you to take the picture, but I'm going to put my arm up like this so it looks like I have a go-go gadget arm. Ha, go-go gadget. And so, I don't know why I'm saying that recently, but I am. Uh, so if you're not old enough to understand it, look it up. Um, in either case, they're holding, she's holding her hand out like this to nothing, and the person across the table is taking a picture while someone else is providing fake light to her. And I'm like, Wow. That's exactly what our world has come to, right? (laughs) Like, just alone with a selfie. There's like a whole camera crew around them. But we see that no, no matter where we look in social media, there are these snapshots of, you know, kids in their happiest moment. Like, oh, they're so sweet. We never see them, like, tearing the house down, like, fire in the background. Like, what's wrong with that child? He's possessed. Like, no, he's always adorable. My kid never cries, you know? these vacations that um, are better than ever because of the way in which we take pictures. It's this fake perceived reality. Why? Because we want to look like things are better than they are. We want to be perceived as winning. Life is so good for me. I don't know about for you, but for me, life is great. It's like we're competing Isn't that weird that we're competing? And on social media, we're supposed to be followed by our friends. (laughs) So it's like this tension to compete with our friends. Weird, right? Or is it our nature? Is it our nature to just want to be perceived as better off than we actually are? More together than we actually are in the moment? Now, let me clear something up real quick, because I'm going to talk about this idea of competition, and I I don't want to be confused or taken out of context. There's nothing wrong with wanting to win a competition. There's nothing wrong to to play to win. That's not a sin. The problem is somewhere along the line, we turned our life into a competition, and that's when it gets kind of dirty. Ever not know you were competing until someone else declares themselves a winner? (laughs) I have two sisters. It happened to me all the time. I would just be doing something every day, going through my life, and all of a sudden be like, "Ah, I won. Like, you won? What did you win? I got here first. Were we racing here? Yeah, and you lost. Like, wow. It's weird because I, I think there's that push in our society where maybe some of us aren't even aware that we're a part of some type of weird competition until our friend or our neighbor or our family member declares themselves a winner in some facet of life, or they imply that they're a winner based on their social media post. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait, am I competing? We get drawn into this game of competition, and it's exhausting. And we know it's a problem. We know it's a problem not only within the church, but even outside of the church, because society has tried to address it. They've tried to address it in the most unique ways. Uh, one of the ways that I'll just mention real quick is that they no longer keep score at sporting events. Listen, this competition thing, it's getting out of hand. Let's not keep score. That'll solve it. The problem is, the kids keep score, right? If you've ever been to one of these games, they run up and they will tell you the score. Like They'll come and be like, oh, we lost. I'm like, uh, no, but I don't think there is a winner or loser. Like, they got five, and we got two. They won. Like, well, we're not keeping scores like I was. It's not that hard. Anybody that runs across that plate is a point. Like, yeah, that's true. That's true, right? But because we think in society, we see that there's this competition problem where people feel bad when they're losers, and people feel good when they're winners. So can't we just create a system where everyone wins? where we diminish this sense of competition. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong or that it's right. I don't want to get into the argument. All I'm saying is it's obvious enough to even society to where they're trying to address the problem of competing. The ironic thing is while these games are going on, the parents are on the sideline competing. They're not competing in a game, but they're competing over the perception of their kids. Like, there's son that won't swing the bat. They're like, yeah, I don't know why he won't. I mean, I swing a bat. He hits it really far at home. You know, it's like, okay, we get it. Like, your kid's awesome. He's just choosing not to be right now. You know, like, who cares? He's a kid. Just let him play the game. No, 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 I have to. Why? Because my reputation's at stake. I want to be perceived as winning. I want to be perceived as important, as, as, as a quality parent, as a quality parent coach. I'm not sure what the expectation is, but in either case, there's this need to explain, hey, everything's okay but they're competing on other levels too. So where'd you go on vacation? Oh yeah, I went to Barbados. But it's just because the private jet wasn't gassed up. And so you're like, what? And so they're talking about vacations, they're competing about vacations, they're competing about their stuff, they're on the sidelines there to support their kids and yet they're competing with one another. Some are even competing on who can be perceived as caring the least. <laughs> That's funny too, oh, I don't care. Yeah, I don't even care. Uh, your son, he's, he's laying on the ground crying. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, he does that sometimes. I don't even care. And are like, uh, I think you might care because he's terrible. And are like, no, no, we're good. We're good. He's like, all right, well, now he's riding another child across the outfield. <laughs> like, okay, I care about that a little, you know? <laughs> it's weird the way there's this tension, this tension of, of competition because the outflow of competition is pride or envy. Hear that this morning. The outflow of competition is either pride or envy. You're either prideful because you won. Look at how good I am. This is amazing. Or your kid wins, which we won't even get into that. But this pride that puffs up or this envy of, could have tried harder. Maybe there's a reason that I can point to someone else. I'm a victim. I'm a victim of society. I'm a victim of unfairness. I'm a victim. So I'm so envious of what they have that I don't have. Corinth was a hotbed of competition. Athletic games second to only the Olympics. Competitions of rhetoric, the arts. Once again, we see the Roman culture infiltrating the church of Corinth. Internally, the church members are literally competing in the areas of spirituality. Spirituality. It was running rampant, and that's what Paul is addressing here. They're literally competing for levels of spirituality to be perceived as more spiritual than the other. And the outflow of competition, like I've said already, is either pride or envy. And so when you put spirituality into the mix, we have spiritual pride or spiritual envy. Isn't that interesting? Spiritual pride, spiritual envy, When it comes to the giftedness of people. Look how gifted I am. Look how gifted they are. If only I was better at that. And Paul is addressing this issue in the text by reminding the church of Corinth that they are a community of believers that should function in unity, not competition. A community of people that should function in unity and not competition. Once again, a paradigm shift where the gospel changes the culture. He's saying we can be different and still unified. Unity and diversity. The world tries it. Society tries it. It never fleshes out well. We're unified even though we're different. Like, I kind of hate that guy. Shh, we're unified but different. Because in our flesh, we're still competing At the core of who we are as human beings, there's a level of competition, a level that wants us to be winning a little bit more than the other. So verse four, something interesting happens here that I'm gonna focus on, but I'm gonna emphasize one word that I'm gonna circle back to. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Same is what I'm gonna come back to, so I want you to hear that as we read it. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So different gifts... Unified by the Holy Spirit. We have different gifts, unified. Differences, but unity. Verse five. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Different ways of serving, but unified by serving Jesus. So we have diversity, but we're unified. Verse six. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Different varieties. If you look at that word varieties in the original Greek, it means this. It means apportioning, spreading, or act of distributing. Distributing. (laughs) I said that weird. Act of distributing. So we've got apportioning, spreading, or act of distributing. So what the text is, is really saying here is not varieties of activities, it's saying a, a distribution, a spreading out of activities, but unified by God the Father who empowers, and the word empowers actually means to cause, to function. So God distributes it, and then he causes it to function, We'll come back around, but there's, there should be a clear reality check of what it is that we can have pride or envy over, right? When God is the one who distributes it, and then he empowers it. Not the same. We hear the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. Same. This Greek word same means not just like, oh yeah, it's the same. Like we would say same, and we m- might mean similar in the word same, but it literally means pertaining to that which is identical to something else. So the Holy Spirit is the same identical as Jesus Christ, which is the same identical to God the Father. What we're looking at really is the foundation for Trinitarian theology. What Paul is laying out here is saying, listen, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one. They're the same, and yet they have different functions, identical and yet fulfilling different functions, unified and diverse. It's a picture of biblical community. You see, God Himself is a picture of biblical community. If God is one, there can't be competition. Like, it's simply impossible. Not, it doesn't make sense. It's literally impossible to compete against yourself. In biblical community, competition is impossible because we are one body. We are one. So how is it if we're one that we would compete? Verse seven says, to each is given the manifestation of, of the spirit for the common good the common good these are corporate gifts and we'll talk more about them in the weeks ahead and even in verse in chapter 14 we're talking about the, these corporate gifts not for personal benefit or personal edification but for the corporate good for the good of the body and so if for our corporate good then envy makes no sense because we're all winning When we're functioning at our best, we all win. Verse 11 kind of closes this pericope, and it says this. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If God empowers and apportions or distributes, then we can't have pride because we aren't the source of our giftings. We aren't the source of what it is we contribute to the body. If we're our own source, then it makes a lot of sense to feel like, hey, I'm falling short. If we're the ones that muster it up, then it makes real sense to be like, hey, I'm pretty special. But if it's God who distributes those things and it's God who then empowers them, if if he's the one that causes it to function, then where can we claim pride? It's not possible. And at face value, If we look at the text and we just read it through, we say, we kind of don't have this issue. Like Corinth was extremely diverse, and it was this hotbed of of confusion and, um, and disorder, which we'll get to. We don't have a lot of that in our church today, thank God. But what it is that Paul is addressing is an outflow of a core root issue. And so I want to look beneath the text and realize that as much as this expresses itself in the areas of corporate giftings, the root issue is this idea of competing against self. This idea of fractured community. We all do it. We all compete. We want to move ourselves forward. So is it easy enough to just say we shouldn't? Listen, muster up the fake, I'm so happy for you, brother, sister. What a blessing. Which, by the way, if you talk like that, I'm probably going to laugh at you. But in either case, like this, this fake mustering up of like, oh, your life is so good. <gasps> oh, let's not talk about mine, you know. Do we just try to get up enough energy to act like we're not envious? Do we have this false sense of humility? where we're like, yeah, I mean, life's okay, but it's tough, you know, too. It's all so hard. This false pride of like, I don't know, it just seems to be working out. At its best, at its very best, maybe you could call that behavior modification but it's not life-giving nor sustainable. To just play this game that we're really happy for others, but at our core, we're really trying to win. We're frustrated. We feel like somehow we got the short end of the stick. We've been victimized by life or circumstances. If we're honest right now, and I don't want you to respond, but in the quietness of your own mind, if we were to deconstruct your life, would there be envy present? and or pride? Is there part of your life that's like, man, they've, they've really got that figured out. I'm so envious. Every time I go on Instagram, I'm like, oh, I hate you. You're so happy all the time. Oh my gosh, you lost another 10 pounds. That's awesome, you know? So happy for you, sister. If we deconstructed your life right now, would there be this part of you that's filled with pride because you look around and say, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I wonder sometimes if I should post my savings account number on social media just so people are aware of how well I'm doing. I mean, let's take a picture. If we took apart your life, is envy and pride present? Because trying harder won't change that. Some people will be like, you know what, I'm going I'm to get off social media for a while. Because that will change it. Right? <laughs> like, If I just get off social media for a while, somehow my heart will change. Now when I log on, I'm not nearly envious or prideful. <laughs> that never works. You see, community and true community, true unity, flow from the character of God. They don't flow from our best efforts or our best pep talk. Be like, listen, I'm glad that they lost that much weight and I'm doing good too. So I can be happy for them because I'm doing well also. I just got a new job so I can be happy for what they just bought. Community and unity flow from the character of God. So listen, if, if you want to live a life to the fullest, if you want to live your life to the fullest, increase your proximity to God. You see, when your life is gospel-centered, you're transformed by the very character of God. That's how transformation takes place. You see, it's only when we're fully known and fully loved in spite of who we are that we have the capacity to stop competing. Hear that for a second because at the end of the day, this Competition, this idea of pride and envy, they're wrapped up in identity. They're wrapped up in trying to validate, in trying to find a sense of approval, in trying to perform, in trying to blame others for why you're not. It's all wrapped up in this identity conversation, and if we are fully known and fully loved in spite of who we know we are, then we have the capacity to stop competing. That's not something you can do on your own. The gospel wins us when we hear the good news that because of what Jesus has done, we, in our brokenness, can be a child of the living God. It's that that moment where we decide to allow the Lord to, to be the leader of our lives, where we step off the throne of our own life and say, you know what? I'm tired, I'm exhausted of competing. I want to find my identity in you. You love me, you forgive me. I want to walk as a child of the living God, free from the burden of this fractured identity. But the story doesn't stop there, or it shouldn't. You see, because the gospel grows us by transforming us daily. It's this ongoing sanctification process that empowers us to to not hold the brokenness of others against them. You see, the gospel transforms us on the front end where it says, even though I know I am broken, God, who knows my brokenness, loves me in spite of that. And so I can be known as a child of God. And that ongoing sanctification process is what provides us the ability to look at others and say, and because of that, I'm not holding your brokenness against you because of who God is in me, because of what the Lord has done in my life. It's in the midst of that gospel-centered community that God empowers corporate gifts. So when you deconstruct a life centered on the gospel, one of the pieces of a life that that is torn apart with the gospel in the center is biblical community. It's one of the outflows of a life centered on God. It's not because of our best effort. It's because that God himself functions in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, diverse and unified, functioning in community. It's our proximity to him that transforms our heart and mind. And so we have to reflect as to what it is that it requires of us today. If we have this core issue, if we consider this morning that at our core, we have the capacity to be incredibly envious or to be incredibly prideful given the circumstances. What do we have to do in light of the text? I want to ask you a question to consider as we go our separate ways in a short bit. We're going to respond in worship, but before we do, I want you to consider this question How can I use my gifts for the good of the body? How can I use my gifts for the good of the body? All too often, We can answer real quickly how we can use our gifts for ourselves, for the betterment of our family, for the betterment of our checkbook, or for the betterment of our perceived, you know, position amongst our friends or coworkers, classmates. How you can declare, hey man, I hit the cycle once. It's amazing. (laughs) What about the backstory? Oh yeah, let's not talk about how I let my team down. It was just incredible what I did. So how is it that you can lean in to the body of Christ and say, I have something to offer. I'm not here as a spectator. I'm not here to simply reap the benefits of others putting their hands in the circle, but I want to lean in and be a contributor. Maybe for some of you this morning, the way you apply this text to your life is to decide to cross the line of salvation to say, I want to be a part of the body. I attend a a church, but I haven't surrendered my life to Christ. I haven't prayed the prayer and asked him to be the Lord and leader of my life so that I can be a part of this body called the church. If that's you this morning, can be as simple as you praying a prayer in the quietness of your mind? Lord, I'm a sinner, but I know that you paid the price for my sins. Would you forgive me? be the Lord and leader of my life, and you step off the throne of the center of your life. Maybe that's your application this morning. For others of you, maybe it's to allow the gospel to grow you, to get to a place where daily you remind yourself, okay, God, you've done a work in me. You've loved me in spite of who I am, and so would you lead me and guide me today? Would I be slow to anger and quick to love? Will I risk connecting to this community? For others of you this morning, we're going to have opportunities in the weeks to come. We're kind of at that point a little over six months old now. We're going to provide opportunity for people to start to serve in a variety of ministries. And those there are those that have already stepped into that role, we're expanding it to make it more available for every one of us. And so in the weeks to come, you'll be able to start serving in specific ways. You'll be able to risk the possibility. So maybe that's your application as you leave this place to maybe be in prayer or consideration. Like, am I going to risk that? Maybe it's a little bit of time commitment. Maybe it's a little bit beyond what you think you have to offer. Listen, when you say, I have nothing to offer, you're believing a lie that Paul just spoke against. Because it's God who distributes And it's God who empowers. And so what you're saying is, God distributed to everyone except me. (laughs) He missed me that day. That's such a lie. And you're missing out on the fullness of life. To come alive in your giftings, and the way that God wired you. To contribute to a community of believers that you can risk connection and say we're better together. For others of us, it might be connection to a small group, which is something else that's going to be kicking off shortly as we move into the months ahead. There's a lot of things on the docket as we start to grow into a full-fledged church. <laughs> and so maybe there's that possibility say, will I risk being in community. Am I, am I willing to be vulnerable maybe on some level where I sit around a circle with a bunch of people that are also imperfect and declare what's obvious? I'm not perfect either. <gasps> I don't know what your application is this morning. Maybe it's to welcome others. If you're in that place where you say, listen, I'm already serving. I'm, I can't wait to get connected to a group. I'm, I've given my life to the Lord. All those things, yes and amen, Woohoo! What are you doing to invite others to this community? Maybe for you, the application is missional. To say, hey, Easter's coming up. More than ever, people are willing to check a church out Maybe that's your application this morning. I don't pretend to know, but I know that there's something that the text requires of every single one of us. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes for a moment, and consider what it is that Jesus is asking us. What is it that you're requiring of us this morning, of me? Lord, would you search my heart? Is it to cross that line of salvation? Say, hey, God, if you're real, if you are real, I want to welcome you into my life. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Talk to you about what your next steps are. For everyone else in the room this morning, allow this moment of reflection to provide margin for you to consider what it is that the Lord's asking you to do to live beyond yourself. To not focus on what your accomplishment might be or the busyness of your life, but to instead say, I want to come fully alive in a community. The ironic part is, we gain our lives by losing it, right? That's what scripture says. So when you risk deeper involvement, you might perceive as inconvenience. The outflow is fulfillment. You win. You win when you decide that winning isn't important. It's amazing. The gospel just flips everything upside down. The weak would become strong. The last is first. If you choose to surrender your life, that you actually win it significant ways.